Chapters sixty three and sixty four of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixty three. A Voyage of Discovery. Mr. Bain and his companion drove to the Great Northern Railway in silence, took their tickets for Hatfield, and started in the midday train with as brief exchange of words as was possible between them. In the railway carriage, each gentleman had his newspaper and each pretended to read it one the accuser was cool enough and was even able to take some interest in the markets and corn exchange and other subjects that affected his own prosperity he knew what lay before him he was working out a scheme that had been deliberately concocted he had sworn to have one of two things lady perriam for his wife or revenge that lady perriam would ever be his wife seemed now beyond all hope but he was going to have his revenge and he was not ill-satisfied with himself nor would self-interest be sacrificed in the indulgence of this fierce desire of unregenerate mankind if he could prove sylvia perriam the criminal he believed her to be he must needs remain the sole guardian of her child there was no one to dispute that office with him and the court of chancery would have no ground for ousting him during sir st john's years of tutelage he shadrach bain would be to all intents and purposes master of the perriam estates to him therefore this journey was not a journey of despair yet some emotion the man must needs feel if he was not a mere mechanical figure made of some hard metal he did feel a certain movement of the heart a dim sense of the awfulness of his errand all that had happened to-day lady perriam's horror-stricken countenance her undisguised despair her piteous entreaty to edmund not to go with him to the madhouse all tended to confirm mr bain in his belief that sir aubrey's death had been sylvia's work and that the prisoner to be unearthed to-day knew of the crime and would proclaim it were his lips unsealed i know what joseph ledlam is pretty well mused mr bain and i know that he lent himself to the concealment of the vilest crime that was ever done upon earth if he was paid well enough for his silence it shall be my task to let the light in upon his snug little home lady perriam reckoned upon too much when she fancied she could make use of a tool of my providing edmund sat in silence behind his paper thinking deeply but not so much of what lay before him as of that strange scene in the vestry vainly did he strive to account for sylvia's agitation upon any ground consistent with innocence the despairing accents of her farewell still rang in his ear had she been guiltless would she have feared his desertion could she who knew the depth of his love supposed that their parting would be final yet if guilty what was the nature of her guilt that it was the hideous crime suggested by shadrach bain he did not for an instant imagine even had he been capable of believing in the infamy of the woman he loved sylvia's denial would have assured him of her innocence at least upon this one point truth had spoken in her tones truth had glorified her countenance in that one supreme moment when with uplifted eyes and hands raised to heaven she had asserted her innocence that she had committed an act of cruelty and injustice in sending mordred perriam to the dreary imprisonment of a private lunatic asylum was just possible and that she was smitten with shame at the revealment of this wrong alas edmund standon knew but too well that this enchantress for whose sake he had made so many sacrifices was not altogether stainless that she was not free from the taint of selfishness she might have been glad to get rid of a troublesome dependent to clear her house of a tiresome old man 
she might so far be culpable what should he do if he found that it was so that she had allowed eccentricity to be treated as lunacy that she had betrayed the trust left her by her husband and had needlessly banished mordred from the house of his forefathers what should he do blame reprove and then forgive her take her to his heart again with all her errors on her head and make it the business and duty of his life to reform and elevate her character this was the lover's resolve he would set right the wrong she had done and then forgive her even her sin should not part them at hatfield mr bain hired a fly and after a good deal of talk with the driver contrived to make him understand the direction in which he required to be conveyed at first the flyman asserted that he never heard tell of no place within twenty miles called the arbour but after profound rumination and after scratching his stubby hairs a little opined that he did remember having had such a place pointed out to him on hanker's heath and might it be a house where they took folks that was a trifle cranky that is the place replied mr bain drive us there as fast as you can it's a seven mile drive remarked the man dubiously fourteen mile there and back and my fare will be fourteen shillings i shall not dispute your fare and i shall want something for myself if you drive quickly there and back i'll give you a crown said edmund eager to end the discussion very well sir you can't say fairer than that jump in only it's just as well to avoid disputes afterwards yer see and it's a wicked road betwixt here and hanker's heath the man drove off at a smartish pace and the occupants of his vehicle were soon made acquainted with the wickedness of the road noble prospects and rustic beauty may abound in the environs of hatfield but the road to the arbour hugged the ugliness of the land it lay in narrow lanes and by the margin of waste patches of level swamp where the sour land grew nothing but rush or thistle dock or dandelion by black and dismal water-pools by scrubby groves of bare and stunted trees by meandering ditches across which pollard willows leaned sidelong extending scraggy arms like the octopus such a landscape as that in which macbeth and banquo met the weird sisters yet no scotland would not furnish such small and insignificant ugliness her dreariest landscape owns the grandeur of size over her most dismal plains the shadow of some distant mountain looms in rugged nobility and the wind from wild deer walks rushes across the barren level like the breath of the great goddess nature the scenery grew more hopelessly barren as the travellers approached the end of their journey hanker's heath was a desolate flat whose dull surface of sodden turf was varied here and there by a ragged furze bush or a patch of stagnant water here and there enlivened by a despondent-looking donkey dragging some clog or fetter at its hind leg a convict donkey condemned to penal servitude for life if one might judge by his look and manner on one side of the heath was a narrow road and along this the flyman drove till he came to a gate in a dilapidated fence behind which appeared the windows of a square plaster-fronted house which may have originally belonged to some tenant farmer in a small way a house to which neither wealth nor taste had added a single charm the barest shell of a habitation less habitable-looking than a gypsy's tent this is the place i've heerd folks call the arbour said the flyman pointing to the dwelling with a disparaging turn of his whip in confirmation of his statement appeared an inscription in white paint on the slate-coloured door the arbour dr ledlam wait for us said mr bain to the driver as he and his companion alighted now mr standen 
he said turning to edmund while they waited for the opening of the gate it is for you or for me to get this old man's secret out of him that he has a secret and one that will criminate lady perriam is a fact upon which i am ready to stake every farthing i have in the world i am here to see the bottom of your scheme sir answered edmund sternly i believe nothing you assert i admit nothing i am here as lady perriam's future husband to see her righted you had better see mordred perriam righted first returned mr bayne with a sneer the door was opened after some delay by a slovenly maid-servant who seemed loath to admit the visitors it was not till mr bayne had told her that he and his companion were friends of lady perriam's that she abandoned her jealous guardianship of the threshold and let them pass into the garden such a garden a waste of weeds and mould and rough moss-grown gravel a patch of grass that might once have been a smiling lawn a damp and ancient willow weeping over a shrunken pond on whose muddy bosom two dirty ducks disported themselves a wilderness of pot-herbs on one side where the cheap and fertile scarlet runner ruled dominant and the vegetable marrow sprawled its tough tendrils and flung its bloated yellow gourds upon the weedy waste i don't know as master will allow you to see mr pierham said the girl but i'll ask if you'll be so good as to step into the drawing-room the visitors complied with this request and were forthwith ushered into an apartment which made some pretension to gentility the walls were blotched with damp and stained with mildew the atmosphere was earthy but the circular table boasted a gaily coloured cover and was further adorned with a green glass inkstand a papier-mache blotting-book and a photograph album an ancient cottage piano stood against one wall a feeble old sofa faced it a cheap print or two hinted at dr ledlam's taste for art the room was in rigid order and was evidently held sacred to the reception of visitors here the steward and edmund standon waited for about a quarter of an hour which seemed longer to both there were footsteps in the room above and a running up and down stairs which might indicate confusion and preparation of some kind but mr letlam did not appear are these people going to keep us here all day exclaimed edmund impatiently he went over to the fireplace and rang the bell not an easy thing to do for the wire was loose and his first efforts only produced a distant jangling sound what a house he exclaimed what desolation and decay in everything this aspect of misery grieved his soul it would be harder now to forgive sylvia's sin that she had placed her brother-in-law under medical restraint deprived him of actual liberty he edmund standon might have schooled himself to pardon but he had expected to find her victim surrounded by all temporal comforts in the care of a medical man of position and reputation whose name alone would be a guarantee for the patient's good treatment to find him here in this abode of misery in a house on which abject poverty had set its mark this was indeed a blow and the young man he who a few hours ago had been a proud and happy lover turned his back upon shadrach bane and shed bitter tears at the thought of that callous selfishness which had abandoned a harmless old man to such an existence as life in dr ledlam's rural retreat no answer came to the bell there was a window down to the ground opening directly on the weedy patch that had once been a lawn i'll wait no longer exclaimed mr standon impatiently i'll explore this wretched hole for myself you can come with me or not as you please mr bayne the maid-servant appeared at the door just as edmund opened the window oh if you please sir she said with a gasp i'm very sorry 
but i made a mistake in allowing you to come in mrs says mr ledlam is up in london attending to his business there and it's against his rule for patients friends to be admitted without an appointment except it's the friend which placed the patient in his care and if you'll please to write and ask for an appointment mr ledlam will let you know when you can see mr Pyram, providing you has lady Pyram's leaf mr ledlam holding hisself responsible to lady Pyram and no one else the girl stumbled slowly through this message which had evidently been laboriously imprinted upon her mind for she tried back when she had finished and went over a good bit of it again like a musical box i'll ask for an appointment by and by answered edmund but while i'm here i'll take a look round your place oh if you please sir you mustn't go out into the garden said the girl with a frightened look it's against the rules come mr bain said edmund heedless of this remonstrance he went out of the window followed by the steward oh if you please you mustn't gasped the girl in much alarm and then finding her appeal unheeded she rushed out of the room and tore upstairs crying missus missus they've gone out into the garden and mr Pyram's there with sammy in the preambulator sixty four mr ledlam's patient mr standon's first act on getting out into the open was to take a survey of the house thinking that mr ledlam's prisoner might in all probability be looking out of one of the windows but the windows were all blank two of the upper casements were guarded by bars doubtless with the view of preventing the escape of any desperate patient who might be inclined to emulate jack shepherd's evasion from newgate come round the garden said mr bain from that girl's anxiety i'll be bound he's somewhere out here they crossed the grass to the stagnant pond where ducks and duckweed flourished and where the ancient willow wept the desolation of the scene that willow was the one bit of shelter in all that arid waste of garden and between the drooping branches mr bain's keen eye had discerned some object that looked like a human figure he made for this spot therefore followed closely by edmund the willow was on the opposite side of the water they went quickly round the edge of the pool mr bain always in advance yes there was some one under the tree a child's shrill voice sounded as they approached an old man's piping tones answering mr bain parted the willow branches and looked into the natural arbour an old man was seated in a dilapidated wheelchair an infant by his side in an equally dilapidated perambulator and both these helpless objects were under the care of a tall lanky-looking girl of about eleven years old shadrach bain not wont to display violent emotion drew back with a loud cry and the ruddy tints of his sunburnt face faded to a sickly white sir aubrey Perriam, he exclaimed aghast what do you mean cried edmund seizing the agent by the shoulder mr bain did not answer him but crept under the willow and bent over the old man taking his hand and looking into his face sir aubrey don't you know me i'm your old steward shadrach bain come to fetch you out of this wretched hole come to take you back to life yes to life answered the old man in senile tones they made believe i was dead they told me to my face that i was not aubrey but mordred they put me in mordred's rooms and kept me shut up there and told me it would be worse for me if i called myself sir aubrey Perriam. who was it that did this with a pained look and a wilder tone not my wife oh no not my wife 
not my pretty sylvia she was beautiful and good she could never have been so cruel to me never mind who did it sir aubrey it is all over now no one will dare to deny your name when i am by your side good god what a scheme for a woman to invent for a woman to execute i see it all now it was mordred who died and that woman made the world believe it was her husband i wish you joy of your plighted wife mr standon added the agent turning to edmund who leaned against the tree white as death the old man clung to shadrach bane like a child who has been restored to the nurse he loves yes i know i know he muttered you are bane a good servant a faithful servant take me away from this place this dull cold cheerless place they don't beat me they're not very unkind to me but they're poor and everything is comfortless carter was always good but she is ill now and i'm left with sammy and clara and clara calls me mr Perriam, and laughs at me when i tell her my right name is sir aubrey clara was the tall girl who stood behind the wheelchair knitting a baby's sock that's his fancy she said sharply when he first went out of his mind he took it into his head that he was his elder brother the one that died it was his brother's death that turned his brain father says his brain is no more turned upon some points than yours my girl answered mr bane his intellect was weakened by a stroke of paralysis but he's clear enough at times he has been used very badly and i mean to take him away from here without loss of time you can't do that said the girl promptly father won't let you i shall not ask your father's leave replied shadrach bane you'll stand by me won't you mr standon yes i will do what i can to see this poor old man righted answered edmund gloomily what is the matter with mrs carter the nurse asked mr bane inflammation of the lungs she was took bad a fortnight ago and father got her round a bit at first but he says the cough has settled on her chest and she'll never get over it she's awful bad we were afraid last night she'd hardly have lived till this morning if you want to know the particulars of this business you'd better stop and question mrs carter said mr bane to edmund she has been in it from first to last she was lady Perriam's prime confidant and adviser i'll see her answered edmund unless you want my help in getting sir aubrey away he had been gazing at the old man's face with earnest scrutiny to assure himself that this was indeed the elder and not the younger brother that he was not being made the dupe of some juggling of mr bane's that scrutiny left no doubt in his mind this was verily sir aubrey Perriam, sylvia's husband strong as had been the resemblance between the brothers there was just sufficient individuality in the face to make edmund stand and very sure upon this point though he had seen mordred but once in his life i only want you to go as far as the carriage with us said mr bane and then you can return and see mrs carter but don't commit yourself by any promise to condone her share in this conspiracy if she is dying it can matter little whether her crime is condoned if but it is just possible she may be no nearer death than i am we can get sir aubrey to the gate in this chair he used to be able to walk a little but perhaps he's weaker now it will be easy to lift him into the carriage between us i shall take him to an hotel at hatfield and keep him there till he can be moved comfortably back to Perriam. but you mustn't take him away 
shrieked miss ledlam i'll run and tell mother she sped off on this somewhat futile errand leaving the baby squalling in the perambulator appalled by the sudden solitude when she came back followed by mrs ledlam a timid-looking matron who had been all this time trying to make herself presentable to the eye of strangers with the assistance of a good many too obvious pins and a clean collar sir aubrey and mr bain had just driven off in the fly and edmund stanton was quietly approaching the house he's gone mar screamed clara they've took him clean away mrs ledlam began to cry your father will say it's my fault she moaned piteously but what could i do i wasn't fit to be seen when they came and was just getting myself a little bit tidy when you ran in to say they were going and there's all our income gone at one swoop for he was your pa's only patient after we lost young hicks the grocer's son and goodness knows when he'll get another i'm sure i tremble when i think what he'll say to me it wasn't your fault mar you couldn't have stopped them if you had been dressed ever so they'd have taken em away by main force there's one of the gentlemen coming this way you'd better ask him what they meant by it mr stanton being timorously interrogated upon this point would give no definite answer there has been a great wrong done he said gravely i cannot tell what knowledge your husband may have had of that wrong but i know that the first step towards setting it right was to get that poor old man out of this house i'm sure he's been treated kindly whimpered mrs ledlam and if he says he isn't he's a deceiving old thing he's had every indulgence sago puddings that i've made for him with my own hands and mutton broth and all kinds of delicacies i'm sure he's been treated like the family and we've all of us borne with his worrying nonsense when he said he was not himself but his brother clara has had the patience of an angel with him mr stanton asked to see the nurse mrs carter and after some difficulty by means of a good deal of persuasion and the gift of a five-pound note to mrs ledlam as consolation under the sudden loss of income he obtained permission to go up to the attic where the sick woman was lying she's very bad said mrs ledlam i sat up with her half last night thinking she was going but it's a harassing deceiving complaint and i dare say she'll go on lingering ever so long a burden to herself and others mrs carter otherwise mrs carford lay on her narrow bed facing the casement through which the westering sun streamed with soft yellow light she was the very shadow the pale ghost of that mrs carter who had been seen at Perriam a month ago the bright brown eyes looked larger than of old larger than they had seemed even in her days of semi-starvation when she came a suppliant to Headingham schoolhouse yet even now with that deadly brightness they were like sylvia's eyes edmund perceived the resemblance at once he sat quietly down by the bedside and took her hand she looked at him at first with a dull indifference thinking he was some strange doctor who had been brought to see her then a gleam of recognition flashed into her eyes she remembered a face she had seen in a photograph sylvia had shown her the face of her daughter's first lover is sylvia is lady perriam here she asked no but if there is anything on your mind anything you wish to tell before you are called away you need not fear to tell me whatever wrong you have done is now past atonement upon earth try to secure god's pity by a late repentance do not carry the secret of your sin to the grave the wrong i did was not done for my own sake but for another 
if i tell the truth it is she who will suffer if you are speaking of lady perriam be assured that nothing you can tell me can affect her injuriously in the first place her secret is already known and in the second place i should be the last to use any knowledge to her disadvantage what is it known already cried mrs carter agitated i knew it must come to light sooner or later that such a sinful thing could not long be hidden but so soon that it should all be discovered so soon how did it happen who came here do not trouble yourself about details you are too weak to bear much emotion sir aubrey has been found and he is in safe hands let that content you and she lady perriam are you so deeply interested in her welfare more deeply than you can imagine answered mrs carter with a sigh you are related to her perhaps i saw a likeness in your face to hers the moment i entered this room we are related by the nearest tie that kindred owns lady perriam is my daughter what you are the mother of whom she spoke to me with such affection for whose sake she married sir aubrey perriam did she tell you that yes she told me that you were in abject poverty almost starving and that her only chance of helping you was by a marriage with a rich man it was true i was in abject poverty and after her marriage she relieved me with an occasional remittance but i have every reason to believe that at that time she was ignorant of our relationship i accepted her alms as an act of pure benevolence from one who knew not that i was more to her than a stranger but she did help you she did and when she had the opportunity of giving me lasting employment and a home as sir aubrey's nurse she sent for me she employed you as a servant in her house yes the position was one of servitude but she did not make it degrading i lived apart from the other servants and i was near her that to me was exquisite happiness until until what until she tempted me to aid her in a sinful act a wicked act which poisoned my life and hers you of all men should be merciful in your judgment of her for it was her fatal love for you that urged her to commit that sin may god deal as mercifully with her as my thoughts said edmund deeply moved you will think less hardly of her perhaps if you know all but it is a wicked story and i hate myself for the weakness that made me help in that evil work since i have been in this house with the fear of death before my eyes i have written an account of all that happened at perriam place dare i trust you as a roman catholic would trust his father confessor will you promise to make no use of that information against sylvia against her you do not know how blindly how utterly i have loved her if her love for me has been fatal mine has been fatal too and it has been thorough which hers never was whatever power i have to shield her from the consequences of her guilt shall be used to the utmost but alas i fear that power is of the smallest where is she now in london with her father lose no more time here then but go back to her tell her that all is discovered she must know that for she knew where we were coming when we left her this morning but i will go back and see if i can be of any use though it will be hard to look upon her face again do not trust her father's kindness in the hour of misfortune take my keys and open that desk on the chest of drawers the feeble hand groped under the pillow and drew out a small bunch of keys the smallest key belongs to the desk 
edmund obeyed you see a roll of papers yes take those with you and go can i not do anything for you have you proper medical attendance good nursing yes these people do all they can but my doom is sealed go to her you may save her from despair End of chapter 63 and 64